Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? It's good to be here with our family. I kind of feel like it's a bit of an anti-climax me, you know, it's a bit of an epic trailer, but so you just got me, I'm sorry, but it's, it is a bit of an epic story what we have in Daniel chapter 3, and particularly the whole of Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to go into the third part of our series this morning. We've been through chapter 1 and 2 in previous weeks, so we're going to dive in in a second. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name's Dan, and my wife Lily, we've got a couple of kids around too, so it's good to be here with our family. Um, I want to do a quick recap of the first two chapters of Daniel. And we see this is about the year of 600 BC, or about 605 BC. We read that um, there's this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and, he's, and he invades Judah and Jerusalem. And this is kind of like the darkest period in, in terms of Israel's history or Judah's history. And he plunders it and he starts to exile people out of, out of the country, God's people. And they're forced to now make this, it's about 700 mile walk, sort of north and northeast to a place called Babylon. We've got a bit, of a bit of a map there. If people are into maps, I like maps. There we go. So there's Judah and, and Israel down there, and they, they make this walk to Babylon. But he, you know what? He didn't, he didn't just wipe them out in one go. He was, a, he was a bit strategic, right? You know, he took groups of people, smaller groups of people, into exile first. And who did he start with? Who did he, what kind of people did he start with? Well, he started with the noble people, the, the intelligent ones, the, the academics, the cream of the crop, right, in Israel. That's who he started with. He started drawing these people out, people out in exile. Included in this group, probably teenage guys, were our friends uh, Daniel um, and, his, and his other mates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That, now, by the way, that's their Babylonian names, right? We know them by their Babylonian names. Uh, they arrive in Babylon and they're chosen for the, the honour, if you like, of, of serving in the king's uh, palace, in the king's court. And the question is, well, one of the questions is, why did, why did Babylon do this? Why didn't, why didn't he just wipe them out if they were the enemy? In the ancient times, there were, there were maybe two ways to conquer a nation, maybe more, but here's, here's, a, quick, um, here's a quick 101 lesson on how to conquer a nation, uh, if you like, uh, since, since you asked and you want to know how to conquer a nation. Two options might be expulsion, right? So um, you, what you might do is you might come into their land and you might expel them, take everything by force, take over and, and push them out. The other option you might choose is subjugation. Um, you come in and, but you, and you invade, but you keep them there, right? But you press them down into slavery, you, you take their women, you put them into forced labour. But what's, what's the problem with both of those options, right? The problem is, is they, they, keep, they keep uprising, they keep causing trouble. You know, they, they gain influence and it tends to get messy, there's, there's blood, bloodshed and things don't go real well. But the Babylonians, they, they did like a PhD, if you like, in conquering nations. They, they developed a third way, a Babylonian way called assimilation. And what you do is you start by bringing them in slowly, you educate them, you woo them, you give them positions of power and influence, and you give them good food and stability. You, come on, guys, come to Babylon. You know, dreams are being made. Dreams can come true in Babylon. It's all pretty good here. And you influence them to become like you, right? And, and the goal is to you assimilate them intellectually and you start to assimilate them socially and, and culturally and then eventually you assimilate them spiritually, right? So it's a more subversive way of, of getting into a nation. And that other nation slowly drifts off into history. 
So this, this is the scene for the book of Daniel, and the question is, how will they respond? While being assimilated, will they, will they forget their God? Will they, what will their faith look like? And if you're new to church today and in, in not been around church for a while or you know, not a Christian, you might be wondering, why, why on earth do we read the Old Testament? Isn't, you know, isn't the Old Testament outdated and irrelevant? Well, one of the reasons we read the Old Testament is because of history, right? It's not the only reason, but it's, it's history. And it's like a giant preface for us Christians. It's like a giant introduction to Jesus, the coming of Jesus. It points all towards Jesus. It also teaches us some pretty handy lessons about human history and, and the nature of humankind, right? And here's what I want us to remember. Here's a good little side note that as we step in today. When it comes to the Bible, especially the Old Testament, but when it comes to the Bible, the Bible ju- does not show us just what happened. That's an interesting story, right? The Bible shows us what always happens, right? You get the difference there. The Bible doesn't show us just what happened. It shows us what always happens, what always keeps happening. All right, we're going to dive in in a moment, but let's, um, let's pray before we go any further, hey? Thanks, God, that we can open your word today to these ancient scriptures that are, that are so old, but God, so relevant. We can learn from them. We read about the story, the redemption story through the Old Testament. We read about Jesus in the New Testament. Thank you, God, for your word. Help us to learn from it today and apply it to our lives. Amen. All right, I want, to, um, I want to show a photo here, and, and as I do this, I, I, I show it, it's, it's a bit unsettling, and I loathe to show this in many respects, because I think we know what this photo is of, and many of you will know the more infamous character in this photo, but I want to point our attention to the other guy. You may not know his name. His name, and I can't, I'd do a German accent if I could, but I can't. His name is Boulder von Schirach, and he was kind of like the, the two I see under Hitler, right? He was pretty powerful guy under Hitler. Not many of us know him. But he did this famous interview with um, the BBC just before World War II broke out, in about 1936. And I'm just going to read this quote out and try and get your head around this, okay? All right. One cannot be a good German and at the same time deny God. But an arousal of faith in the eternal German is at the same time an arousal of faith in the eternal God. If we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler, the Führer, well that's the leader in German, serves Germany. And whoever serves Germany, serves God. I don't know, is that, what do you think of that? Is that a bit unsettling? Yeah. Why, why, do, we, why do we cringe on the inside when we read that? Yeah, you serve Germany, you serve God. And we cringe, right, because we know how the story ends, right? Within 10 years of, of this guy saying this, they were piling up the corpses by the millions in, in Europe. We watched this ideology play out in reality and, and we saw death on a scale that human history has, has never, ever seen before. And this is the kind of idolatry of national identity that leads to horror. So, a little bit of an uncomfortable way to start today. But why do I bring this up? Because it's essentially, essentially the same thing that happens here in Daniel chapter 3. And where, where one particular tribe's values, culture, 
religion and ideology were stamped with the authority of God and, and they marched forth confidently saying, yeah, we're doing the will of God. Of course, Germany wasn't the only nation to do that. They weren't the last and, and they weren't, there's many in between. So we're going to dive in chapter 3, um, verse 1 here. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. And that's modern-day Iraq. So we start to see a bit of a shift here in Babylon. Um, and, and we ask, well, what is, what is this golden image of? Well, we're not actually too sure. It could have been an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Or it could have been a, an, an image of some of the Babylonian gods. We're not sure, but maybe that's not the point. But he set it up. And, um, and, and we read here, what, 60, 60 cubits. Now, that's about... That's about 30 metres tall, so maybe that's like, I don't know, three times, two or three times the height of this ceiling, right? The two or three times the height of this building, perhaps. So it's not the biggest thing around in those times, but it was pretty big. In verse 2, we read on, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And what's he saying here? He's saying it's a big deal. Everyone turned up. It's like <laughs> all the politicians turned up. And it's like, you know, commentators have looked into this, right? And they're not actually too sure what all these roles mean, what each, what each person does in, this, in the, all these politicians. To which I say, well, that kind of makes sense. It just sounds like typical politics to me, right? Everyone's got a fancy title. Nobody knows what they do. But what we see here is um, it, he's trying to, trying, to, trying to tell everyone that this is a big deal. Remember last week, Daniel um, was interpreting the dream for um, Nebuchadnezzar, and he, he laid out God's plan ahead of King Nebuchadnezzar. But, but in the meantime, Nebuchadnezzar had conquered um, Judah for good. He'd plundered the temple, and it's like he's, he's all puffed up full of pride. He's, it's like Conor McGregor, if you know Conor McGregor, at the end of a fight, riding on a high, arms full of gold. Who can defeat me, he's saying. And he's saying, remind me, remind me who your God is, didn't, didn't I? Didn't I defeat your God? Come on. I don't, I don't like God's idea. I don't like God's plan. I'm going to write my own idea. I'm going to write my own plan. So that's what he does in his, in his pride. All distorted and messed up in his pride. And you might think, look, this is kind of cute. Primitive, you know, people, they set up statues, golden statues of their leader. Like, that's, that's, that's what ancient people did, right? But luckily, we know better in modern times. We, we don't do that anymore. But in researching this, I just wanted to, to show a few images on the screen. I wonder if anyone can tell me um, where, where this one is. Any, any guesses? Not, not quite, North Korea, no. Someone say China. Yeah, China, that's right. This is China. That's um, Chairman Mao. You'll notice an image of, is more made of gold. I don't know if it's pure gold, but it looks like yellow. Um, the next one there, this one here is, anyone guess where this one is? Someone said it before. North Korea, that's right. So Kim Jong-il. Notice what the people are doing in the foreground, right? And the third one here, this is a little bit, little bit trickier just to keep you on your toes. Any, any guesses where this one is? This is, uh, this is, no, this is actually Turkmenistan. Some of you are like, is that a country? Turkmenistan is, is a country in, in somewhere in Europe. And again, we see this guy, um, the king, in gold on a horse, right? As, what's, you know, why do I show those pictures? What's, what's interesting about that? Well, these pictures, right, they're current photos. These are, these are current 
statues in 2021 that exist around the world. And they're certainly not the only ones. These are the three examples. Remember, the Bible doesn't tell us just what happened. It tells us what always happens, right? So nations change. We find kings and kingdoms change. But the human heart seems to, seems to recycle some, some old ideas, hey? Let's keep reading in verse 4. The next one there, Dave. Uh, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. I don't know if anyone knows what a trigon is. Anyone, anyone played a trigon before? No, no idea myself. Um, I think, just personally, there's a reason why he had to force people to, to listen to this music, right? Like, because... That's not a band, right? That's, that sounds like a terrible band if it is. No one's buying, no one's buying gig, tickets to that gig, right? No one's turning up there because they want to. It's like, the music's terrible, you're forced to. Otherwise, you burn. <laughs> Yesterday, I had, a, I had a taste of this. Um, my kids decided, hey, it would be a great idea to get some recorders out. You know, the little things you... I want the little whistle things, that, the plastic... Like, and any parent... You're laughing because your parents, you know where this is going, right? So... As a three-year-old and a five-year-old walking around the yard with a recorder is not music, right? I don't know what it is, but it's torture of some kind. And, and I figure that might be maybe how Babylonian music sounds, right? Some kind of torture, because they're forced to. But the point is, everyone is expected to worship and make the music. Everyone is expected to, wor- to, to bow down. You don't have a choice. You worship me as God. And just like, just like we have worship here with, with music and singing, they kind of have their own worship, right? Instead of this time, it's like, no, you're not worshipping God, you're worshipping me. Read on in verse 8. And therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, or astrologers in some versions, they maliciously accused the Jews. We read on, but, but there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These men, O king... Uh, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I wonder if this, does this sound familiar? King, we, ha- we, we, have, a, we have a problem with the Jews. Can we, can, we stick them in a, can we stick them in a furnace and like be done with them? Does that sound familiar over the last hundred years? Remember what the Bible tells us. It tells us what always happens. And this kind of shows us that that human beings are not innately good at getting better, but we're just like, in, in some ways, we're just like the Babylonians. The human history has a heart problem, right? And we see this heart problem that runs through all nations, all peoples, and it runs up until 2021. We see this clearly in the last 100 years, right? And Jeremiah says this pretty, pretty full-on statement. It says, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Again, this is an extreme example. You might, be, you, you might never be involved in a political regime like this. That's a bit extreme. But maybe ask this question instead. Maybe ask, how do you handle the, the authority and the power that you, you do have? How, how you lead your marriage? How you lead your family? How you lead your team at work? Read on in verse 13. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, he said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? We read on, But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? Worship me or you burn, right? That's the options. Where'd they get this furnace from? Why are there furnaces in Babylon? Well, you use furnaces to melt down the gold, right? Babylon was known as the city of gold. So you need furnaces to melt it down. But the good news is, is that there's some real, real authentic faith here. There's some, some real genuine believers. And the historians say that when the people bow down, that it's likely there was about 300,000 people bowing down. Right, 300,000. So to put that in perspective, that's like uh, the Gabba. Everyone know the Gabba? That's like seven of the Gabbas full of people. Or the MCG in Melbourne, there's like three of those full, cram full of people back when you didn't have to socially distance and you could use a stadium. But imagine that, three of the MCGs full of people. And in amongst 300,000 people bowing down to this image, three guys, three guys stand up. Imagine that kind of courage. You, you could probably smell the furnace in the background. You could probably smell the smoke. And, and three guys stand up. I wonder, it, I wonder for us today, do, do we ever feel the cultural heat? Do we feel the pressure? Maybe not a furnace, maybe not as extreme as this, but do you feel your faith getting tested for Christians here? Do you ever get the feeling that we're living in a bit of a foreign culture ourselves? And maybe if you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe you kind of understand this as well, right? Pan- pandemic life in the past 12, 12 months has, has changed our culture, right? It's tested our trust in government. It's tested our trust in, in, in each other. Maybe sometimes you feel an increased pressure to pick a side, you know, and you think, oh, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to believe anymore. So we feel tested culturally, right? Let's read on in verse 16. And this is, I think this is the pinnacle, this is like the, this is, we've got to get this, this is verse 16. Pay attention to this. It says, O Nebuchadnezzar, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the, the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if not, right? But even if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And this is, this is probably the, this is the key to the chapter, I think. One of the keys. And it might be the most, the most polite rebellion you've ever come across, right? Because what they're saying is, they're saying, we're, just not, we're not having a debate about this. If you want to kill us, that's That's fine. Our God will deliver us from the furnace and we'll continue living. But our God, he may not do that. Either way, you're not God. And we're not interested in having a debate about this. We just fundamentally disagree with with who you think you are and who you think Babylon is. It's like, how infuriating, right? These are are probably the nicest people you've ever met. Certainly certainly the nicest rebels you've ever met. But now, now you have to kill them. How infuriating for the king. And this is, this is such a key teaching to, to this um, part of the Bible. I don't think we can miss this. We can't, we, we've got to pause on this for a second because, 
Because what they're saying is that our God can deliver us. He can do it. He can deliver us, no doubt. But even if he doesn't, even if he does not, we're still going to worship him. We're not worshiping you. This is the heart of the believer. I think this this sets the heart of the, the praying believer, right? And this sets the position of God in his proper place as sovereign God. And some of you desperately need to hear this today. You need to hear this message because you, you might be praying for, for a spouse. You might be you might asking God to, to fix all sorts of things. And, and God can heal, heal your, your marriage. And if he doesn't, worship him. And God can find that spouse for you that you've been praying for for years. God can give you that baby that you've been praying for for years. God can give you that job. God can fix that financial situation for you. God can release that person from addiction. God can restore all those broken relationships. And God can give healing and, and to those diseases and those things you've been suffering with for years. But if he doesn't, we worship him. And what they're saying is that our God can do anything, but we can't make our God do anything, right? Our God can do anything, but we can't make our God do anything because he's the sovereign one. You know, like we've, we've been through a lot as a church recently, right? The last 18 months has been difficult. It's been difficult for, for most of us, Treya. And, and some of you personally ex- experience these things and we feel the testing and you, you feel the pressure. You feel the heat being turned up. But we, we can ask boldly for anything. But how do we respond? We, we ask boldly knowing that God can do anything. But ultimately, he is in sovereign control of all things. Verse 19 says, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. We jump down, and these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was so urgent. The flame, the flame of the fire killed the men who bound them up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the burning fiery furnace. So it's all about haste here, right? It's all about urgency. Get it done. And this is what happens when, when people elevate themselves or their country to divine status. It's like, what happens to human life? becomes pretty cheap, pretty expendable. We read on verse 24, something awesome happens here, and um, we see the real king that shows up. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Well, he's close, right? He's close. Not quite. It is the Son of God, or it's called what people might call a theophany, like an appearance of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 26, he came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. Servants of the Most High God, he's changed his tune, come out, come here, come out of the fire. So here's a question, just ponder on this for a moment. Did, Did God deliver them from the fire? Did God deliver them from the fire? Did they get thrown into the fire? Yeah. So in one sense, no, they didn't, get, they didn't get delivered from the fire, did they? But did they get delivered from the king? Yes. So they were not spared from going into the furnace, right? They were spared from the king, though. They find all of a sudden that God shows up with them in the furnace. 
Verse 27 there. They saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. He's changed his mind, now it's an angel. He sent his angel and delivered his servants. Therefore I make a decree. Anyone who speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no God who is able to rescue in this way. So, did he change his, did he change his heart? Did Nebuchadnezzar change his heart? No, he's, he's just going with the winning team now, right? He's, he's wearing, wearing like a reversible jersey. He's switched to a new... Hey, everyone worship this God now. He's, he seems to be legit, you know? This God, you know, worship him because I say so. And if you don't, what am I going to do? He's still going to kill people, right? <laughs> He hasn't changed at all. He's just picking, picking a new God. That, that one seems convenient. All right. How are we doing? We good? That's the end of the chapter. Pretty intense, hey? And there's so much we can learn from this. And in life, I think, we often ask why a lot, don't we? Ask God, why, why am I in this situation? Why am I feeling this, in this suffering? Or why am I experiencing this? And maybe, maybe there's a few, way, a few ways you feel the heat at the moment. You feel being tested. Maybe, maybe culturally you feel like you're in a foreign land. You're pressured to question your faith in Jesus. You're pressured in all kinds of ways. Or maybe, number two, circumstantially, you feel the heat in your circumstances, suffering, the illness, relationships breaking down. I can, I can guarantee us of this. That there will be times in all of our lives when we feel the heat, both culturally and circumstantially, right? We're going to feel it. If we don't feel it at the moment, we're going to feel it one day. And it may not be persecution in a literal furnace. You may not get thrown into a literal furnace, which is a good thing. But we can assure ourselves that if Jesus is standing there in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he can stand with us through anything, right? If he's there with them, he's there with us. If he's faithful then to them, he's faithful to us now. And the promise is that God is doing something. It's not arbitrary. God is doing something. Jesus says these really powerful words, the confronting words in John 16. It says, in this world you will have, what, easy time? In this world you'll have pleasure. No, what does he say? He says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome and Peter, this is in the New Testament, there's a book of Peter, and he uses the language of, of Daniel here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may have be, had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. What's he saying here? Your faith is more valuable than gold, more valuable than anything. How do you purify gold? Well, you put gold in a furnace and you heat it up so much that you start to get the impurities rise, what they call the, the dross on the top. You see, that, you see those come to the top and you can take off the impurities. That's the illustration he's using there. And you notice, notice through this story that God is never promising to take us out of situations. He's not, he, he never promised to take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the furnace. 
we see all through the Bible, we see Psalm 23, a famous psalm, though I walk, what, through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't take us out of the valley. Israelites, they're walking through the sea. In another time, they're walking through the desert. Paul in the New Testament, he talks about countless times he's being beat up within an inch of his life. Remember that rarely does God take us out of trials, but he gets us, what? He gets us through it. We may never know why. And some of you need to know today, you just need to know, like, like anything, that God will never leave you or forsake you, that he's getting you through these things for a reason. He's doing something. Maybe he's refining you like fire, like gold in the furnace. As we close today, we ask ourselves, where does this story ultimately lead us? Leads us to the cross, the cross of Jesus. And if you've been around Creekside for a little while, if you've been around here, we, we tend to use words like the cross or the gospel a fair bit. And that's because as Christians, we, when we read the Bible, when we read the Old Testament even, we believe that everything is leading up into Jesus. Everything is painting that, that preface, the introduction to Jesus. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus. It's what it is. It's the good news of Jesus. And it's the best news ever for us today. Why did, why did I share that, that quote from this guy, Boulder von Chirac? part of the Nazi party at the beginning. Well, it's because we see an extreme example of what happens when a nation idolises itself in national identity. Babylon did this two and a half thousand years ago. Germany did it in the last hundred years. And we, we paid the price, right? And they weren't the only ones to do that. And they probably won't be the last. And as a global community, did you, did you know this fact, right? Let's just try and think about this. The 20th century was the bloodiest and most destructive century in human history. You realise that? If you're over the age of 21, you're born into that century. That's our story as humans. And these are horrific parts of history, but when we read through the Bible, it's not, it's not enough to say that, oh, they're, they're world war problems or, you know, that's evil, that's an ancient problem, right? They're, you know, thank goodness we know better now. But there's something broken in all of us, in all of human humanity. What are the ways that we, every day, exalt ourselves? Do we idolise our personal identity? What if this sin is also deeply personal within us? What if it's, what if it's hurting those around, of, around us? What if we all experience the injustice that we feel from other people? And, and, and the reality is, we do injustice ourselves. Our sin affects those around us as well. The truth is, not just some of us need a changed heart. We all need a changed heart from God. Jesus does something even better. You know, there's one occasion that Jesus is not with us, right? You know, there's one occasion that Jesus is not with us. You know what that is? Jesus does something even better than in the furnace with us. He goes to the cross for us, alone doesn't go with us. He does it for us. He does it on behalf of us. Was Jesus delivered from the cross? In a sense, no. But the question was, were we delivered from the cross? Yes, absolutely. The answer is yes. He did it for us. And this is the gospel that was foretold all through the Old Testament, even through Daniel's time. 
and it still applies with us today. He went into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But on the cross, he goes alone for us. And he's hung up on that cross, again, on this, this Roman cross, right? Again, another symbol of, of human authority, of Roman authority this time. And he went into the furnace to endure the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar. And he goes on the cross to endure the wrath of God. And it's only here, only this one time, that he didn't stand with us. He stood instead of us. Jesus stands through the furnaces with us, but on the cross. He stands instead of us. Some of you feel the heat today. You feel the pressure. The circumstantial heat, maybe. The cultural heat. The truth is, you may not ever be delivered from these things. I I don't know. You may never experience freedom from these things. I don't know. Maybe. But the promise is, the greater promise is, is that you've been truly delivered, right? You've been delivered in the eternal sense, the eternal perspective. It's done. It's forgiven. Your, your wrongdoing is, is forgiven. Your, your injustice, the way you hurt other people, the way you've let down other people, it's done. It's forgiven. All the greed, all the, all the things you regret in your past, it's done. It's forgiven. And that's the gospel message for you today. You can know that you've been delivered from sin, delivered from brokenness, because Jesus went to the cross instead of you. You can know the true king today. You can know the true king. The king of kings, right? There is another in the fire standing next to me. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there's a cross that bears a burden where another died for me. What's the response this morning? What do we do? We worship, right? We worship God, amen? That's what we're going to do now. As we close, I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to pray. We're going to worship our God. We're going to sing this song. There is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me. Let's just pray together as the band comes up. Thank you, God, so much of this this ancient scripture that we can read about this, God, that we can learn from this, God, and knowing, God, that you aren't distant. There's many things we don't understand, God. There's many sufferings and trials that we might be in. We don't understand. But one thing we do know, one thing we can know, God, is that you're with us in the furnace. You're with us through the trial. We feel the heat. We feel the pressure, God. You're with us there. And that's the promise. And if your faith were back then, you can be faithful to us, God, and you're refining us like gold in the furnace. Thank you, God, for the greater promise that the, you stood on the cross instead of us. You went there alone for us. It's the one occasion you're not with us, God. It's because you did it for us. You paid the price for us. We can know the King. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.